0: Well, good morning, Los Angeles. This is Apologetics.com Radio. My name is Lenny Esposito, and I have the privilege this morning of hosting our show uh, for you. Uh, And it's a little bit strange because Harry Edwards, our normal host, is here. He just decided that he would rather contribute right. more to the conversation than, than perhaps sit on this side of the microphone. But Harry, glad to glad to have you here. Good evening, everybody. Yeah. And also, of course, uh, Jacob Daniel is with us, um, who our intrepid team would always be remiss
1: without. So, <laughs> wow. so how, how are things going at Heritage Council, Jacob? Uh, going well, just keeping busy with ministry. Uh, what I'm Doing currently is teaching at two academies. Uh, one is New Hope Academy, which is a church-based academy, and the other is Living Truth Academy, which is in Corona. So I'm teaching early morning tomorrow actually at eight thirty. If it's, oh, wow. if anyone's interested in Norwalk area to actually learn more about Mormonism, that's what I'm teaching tomorrow. Okay, yeah, and just um, other than that, I'm working on some writing projects and traveling quite a bit, speaking at different churches, focusing uh, our attention at this moment here. Southern California, as well as in Bay Area. So, okay. Yeah.
0: That's great. And, and Harry, we don't ever get to hear an update from you and your
2: studies. You're still working on well, That's you? true. Yeah. I am working on a demon, uh, n- not D E M O N, doctor of ministry. I know it sounds <laughs> the, you're, the, you're, the you're same. Not,
0: you're not, you're not pulling <laughs> a Descartes
2: on that's me. That's right. No, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not demon possessed. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm finishing up my second year. It's kind of weird to think that. And then, Dissertation starts in the fall. Then. Wow! And wow! Then, yeah. And
0: reading like a madman
2: as we've reading discussed. like crazy a book a week and blogging about it. Uh, it's been fun. I'm learning a lot, and I'm. Uh, it's very, uh, no doubt, satisfying. Very helpful, and it's I think given me the right knowledge, and hopefully with humility comes with it. Mm-hmm. But okay. yeah, and hopefully it it shows in in our shows. You know. It, yeah. Um, we're adding to it. And we were just talking about how, like in, during um, our, our time before the show, how we need to be exposing Christians to various views so that they're not shocked that it exists when they finally learn about it, right? That's and they're, really- they've not been prepared. So anyways, those kinds of things. We need more of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah,
0: and I'm certain that we will. And matter of fact, we'll uh, discuss more of that in today's episode. Yeah. So uh, as I said, uh, this is apologetics.com radio, where we challenge thinkers to believe and believers to think. It is a live call-in show, and if you have a question or comment, please feel free to call in at 888-995-KKLA, that's 888 995 This morning, we're going to approach uh, something that's happened uh, again in the circles of Christianity, and it focuses on a couple of very popular YouTube broadcasters. Now, uh, if you remember in the past, we've seen um, several high-level or, or high-visibility, I guess I should say, uh, Christians who have deconverted. Josh, Ed, uh, Josh Harris, Harris is yeah. one of the primary wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, also, um,
2: S- some of the, like, Hillsong guy, I think. Right,
0: yeah. right, uh, and I'm, his name escapes me yeah. for a moment. Well, something happened a, a couple of weeks ago, and it wasn't explicitly a Christian... Uh, ministry individual who uh, has left the faith. It was actually a pair of guys who are very popular in Christian circles, but also very popular in the secular world. And uh, I'm talking about Rhett and Link from the YouTube channel uh, or the YouTube program Good Mythical Morning. Now, this uh, program is hugely popular among young people uh, over... 16 million, almost 17 million subscribers to their YouTube channel. So they, they have a ton of list of uh, listeners and watchers. the YouTube channel turns into also a podcast. They have another uh, show called Ear Biscuits mm-hmm. uh, that they broadcast some of the other pieces. They're primarily comedic in their format. They make people laugh, and uh, that's a very big attraction <clears throat> For many folks, as you can imagine, we were just saying that, for example, youth today, they don't watch news programs. Most of their news comes from people like Bill Maher and Stephen Colbert, who are actually more comedians Hmm. than informed journalists. Now, why is that? Because those folks can make you laugh. And so that gives them a certain cachet in uh, the mind of many younger folks today, and they tend to be very influential in those circles. So, Rhett and Link are very influential in quite a lot of circles, and their stories were, if you listen to their shows on their spiritual deconstruction, as they would frame it, uh, their stories are shocking because these aren't just guys who grew up in the church. These are guys who were engaged at the highest levels of ministry in the church. They were youth leaders. They held weekly Bible studies. They were Campus Crusade representatives in college, and then went on staff with Campus Crusade, became missionaries. All the stuff that you would want your kid to follow in, these guys were doing. And then they start to lose their faith what's going on here now, what I want to do is I want to lay down the background of this um, talk. Both of the episodes that where they discuss the the loss of their faith are fairly long they're about a like an over an hour and a half hour and forty five minutes each so i'm going to try and condense that although they were friends growing up for most of their lives went to the same youth group together, the same church. so And a lot of what happened to Rhett uh, transferred over to Link as they were talking to one another. What I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of background so you understand where they're coming from, and then uh, we'll talk about some of the problems with the objections that led to their deconstruction of their faith, as they put it, as well as what we as the church should be doing in order to help young people who could fall down that path. I mean, the statistics are still clear that you have 70 to 80% of young people leaving the church after they get out on their own, go to college, things of that nature. And, uh, the latest, uh, Stats also show that unlike former times, they're not coming back when they get married. Mm. And there's some specific reasons why. One of the reasons why is in previous generations, when you got married, you would generally marry somebody who was a believer. They were also a churchgoer. Now, when you get married, the chances are much more strong that you will marry someone who's not a believer. And so there's no common impetus to Mm. try and Mm. get our religion back, so to speak. Okay. Uh, But let's first, before I jump in too much... It's interesting, I think, that they use the term deconstruction. Don't you think that that's that's an interesting term? It's not deconversion, it's deconstruction. Now, why do you think they would use a term like that?
1: I think uh, listening to Rhett uh, and his uh, uh, basically uh, argument in terms of what has led him to his position now, it doesn't look like he has come to a position where he has completely denied the existence of God or has adopted atheism. Uh, What he says at the end of his talk or discussion is that he is a hopeful agnostic. Mm -hmm. And so what he, uh, listening to him, um, uh, what I feel is that what he'd been doing was he's um, dealing with some complex uh, questions that Christians do face in terms of scriptures, in terms of the deity of Christ, in terms of Old Testament as to how things are uh, reflected there, and things like that, so what he 's doing is basically deconstructing all that and coming to his personal conclusions about those things, and hasn 't completely deconverted mm. to atheism, because when we talk about deconversion, what yeah. we basically mean what, what, what we basically mean is that you ho- once held Christian faith, and you have now moved or shifted to atheism, uh, a complete denial of the existence of God, but that 's not what i 'm seeing from Brett.
2: Also, I wanted to add that it's not so much deconstruction in a literary sense, where maybe some of the um, genesis of that comes from postmodernism. I I think it's deconstruction in a sense, and and I think we need to be um, clear about those. Not that it's super super important, but just in case, you know. But I think he basically he's saying his faith is actually getting destroyed slowly because uh, th- there were certain strong beliefs that became tenuous mm-hmm. after discovering that th- there's a, a rational uh, maybe um, opposite of it, you know, so yeah. something he had not considered before. And uh, and we were just talking during the break that what's sad is these things are not hidden, right. but, but the Church— Church leaders, I'm sorry to say, ch- church leaders are really at fault because every Sunday we have that opportunity to teach and educate, but that's not happening.
0: Yeah. No. Well, and, and let me let me emphasize this, and he emphasized yeah. it quite a bit at the beginning of his talk that this wasn't a shallow Christianity. Some people immediately would go there, and he mm. and he. It was very passionate at the beginning, as well as at the end, saying, "I don't want people to caricature me, to misunderstand me, to to um, reduce my faith to something less than what it was." Matter of fact, at 8:55 in the broadcast, so if you if you go to the YouTube channel for Ear Biscuits and you pull up Rhett's spiritual deconstruction, or you can even search for it on Google and find the YouTube. At the 8:55 mark, he writes, "quote or he says." I believed Jesus was the Son of God and that a personal relationship with Him was the only way to go to heaven. This belief defined everything for me. It mm-hmm. was my worldview. It gave me purpose and meaning. And he goes on to say, it was a relationship, emphasizing that point over and over, yeah. very explicitly saying what evangelicals say in churches across America. He also notes that he was a naturally skeptical person, and this had already been in the back of his mind. He had some qualms as to how the canon came together, and um, it didn't seem as clean as he would have liked it, as he says. And then that the resurrection, he says, well, that's a tough thing, but that's the whole point. I have faith, he says, at the thirteen forty-five mm-hmm. mark, right? And what he would do to in order to assuage these problems, he said, he would go off and read Christian apologists. Mm-hmm. And so he would read Lee Strobel or he would listen to Ravi Zacharias or folks like that, and he'd read them in order to say, okay, yeah, I guess it must be true, and and put a band over his doubts. Um, to me, that's a little concerning because that's not what you're supposed to do. Not to put a band over your doubts, you're supposed to understand the issue. But that's, I'm going to leave that aside for right now. It's when he went to college and he met certain young earth creationists who were dogmatic about their young earth creationism. That's when the whole thing became a problem. He hadn't thought about the age of the earth because it hadn't really been an issue in his house. Uh, He said he wrote, read uh, Creation in Time by Hugh Ross, as well as a book called The Bible Rocks in Time. Um, But it started him bothering him because here he's reading that there are old earth creationists. There are young earth creationists. And these guys are both kind of dogmatic. And he goes, well, I've always taught, been taught that Christianity has the ultimate truth, yet here are two different groups at loggerheads with one another. They both claim to have the truth. They're both going to the same source, yet they're coming up with vastly different conclusions. How does that work? What's the problem? He eventually holds to an old earth view— Because he says, well, the science says it. So he clings to a scientific understanding of this. And then he said, but I couldn't believe in evolution because Adam and Eve had to be true. So he took a theological position. Adam and Eve are necessary as a um, start to the human race, human condition, because that's ultimately what leads to original sin, what leads to the necessity of Jesus Mm -hmm. being the kinsman redeemer, things like that. Uh, And he said he'd strike conversations with people, about evolution not being true. And he could argue with people who believed in it to the point of where they didn't believe in it anymore. Yet he read a book called The Language of God by Francis Collins. Francis Collins, uh, of course, ran the National Institutes of Health. Very smart guy. Uh, Knows a lot about human genetics. Believer, but holds to evolution. And in The Language of God, he makes the argument for evolution. And... uh, Rhett gives a couple of examples of why Collins proved persuasive to him. He talks about the fusing of chromosome two in humans, um, and that uh, it seems to correspond to chromosomes two and three in apes. Um, He says that he knows that humans and chimpanzees share 99% of the same DNA. However, uh, the standard Christian response to that is, well, that's God's prerogative to use the same building materials. Why can't he do that? And, uh, but why then would these other things start to show up? He mentions retroviruses, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there are certain retroviruses that you get that incorporate themselves into the DNA. The most well-known of those is AIDS, right? When you, when you track the AIDS virus, it actually becomes part of your white blood cell DNA. And that's what makes it so difficult and, and nasty. Mm-hmm. But those retroviruses show up in humans. They show up in chimpanzees. They show up in apes in the same places. And the, and he says, well, it, then doesn't it make sense that a common ancestor had this virus and passed it along to all its progeny? And he uses a coffee stain analogy. If you, if you were to see a mimeographed copy of, you know— two different Bibles, maybe an, an English Bible and an another Bible, and they, and you see the same coffee stain on both of them, wouldn't you think that, well, the coffee stain came from the original page and then it was mm-hmm. copied to both of them. That's, so he also talks about other things like vestigial structures and things like that I won't go into. But he said, I began to doubt the people to whom I would intellectually retreat to when I had these kinds of doubts now I'm starting to believe in evolution and these people told me that it wasn't wasn't true all right the Bible was the the sole source of truth it was well he didn't say that he said the Bible was inerrant and that's the source that we look to for all truth therefore uh how can I start to believe these things if evolution is true it start to rock his worldview so he says well maybe the Old Testament isn't true maybe maybe Adam and Eve aren't literal uh you know, I can't find archaeological evidence for the exodus, things like that. What do I do then? Well, I can still have Jesus. I can still have Jesus. And then he, they move out to California in order to pursue their show. Uh, and he, he uses the term California Christianity. This is right about 45 minutes mm-hmm. into the show, which I, I love that. Yeah, uh, California Christianity, which is like, hey, man, all the details don't matter. Just, you know, love Jesus, kind, mm-hmm. of, a, kind of an approach. But this is what he said. Um, he prayed, and he writes this in his journal. And this is at 4609. He writes, quote, My faith is still weak, but it is not gone. And possibly God is building a foundation he can st- build real faith upon. Here are a few things that hit me recently. From an intellectual standpoint, I may never have certainty about my faith. That pursuit may be fruitless. It's becoming clearer that the significance of my faith, or the so-called proof of Christianity, and he uses scare quotes in that proof, is not found in well-reasoned arguments. Rather, it rings true like a musical note would. It hits my resonant frequency. And he said, though the more he read his Bible, the more it inflamed his doubts. Lastly, he questions the historical um, reliability of the Gospels, turns to Bart Ehrman uh, and his books, uh, and uh, really started bothering him. And he said, I took a look at the answers to the Christian answers I had been given, and that's when I realized that the Jesus thing was very, very messy from a historical standpoint. Jesus interrupted was the book that he was reading at this time. Um, And again, he said, people are reading the Gospels. Bart Ehrman's reading the same Gospels as, say, William Lane Craig, and they're coming to vastly different conclusions. So how can I deal? This isn't like science. And he says, it's not like a guy who's doing an experiment in America and a guy who's doing an experiment in China, all things being equal, they're going to come out with the same result. This isn't what's happening. So therefore... He starts questioning everything, comes up with the what-if-I'm-wrong series of questions that he asks right at the one-hour mark. He says, quote, the Bible is a product of man, I, he believed. He believed it's man's best guesses about God. He asks, if I don't have to believe that God ordered his people to slaughter men, women, and children by the thousands, then why would I? Mm-hmm. If I don't want to believe that every religious experience of every person who is not a Christian is illegitimate, then why would I? If I don't have to believe that anyone who does not have a relationship with Jesus, i.e. the majority of people who have ever lived, are going to spend eternity being literally tortured in a fire, experiencing never-ending pain and suffering, then why in the H-E-double hockey sticks, would I believe that? If I can somehow, he asks, accept the idea that hell exists because of God's holiness, why would I believe in a God who would choose to create that particular world where people have no choice whether they are going to be born, but once they are born, if they don't adopt the correct understanding of God, he will punish them forever. Why believe in that God if I don't have to? And therefore, by 2014, he comes to the final conclusion. I understand that it is unreasonable for Christianity to be a set of scientifically verifiable principles, he says. It is a faith, implying that some sort of believing without seeing is involved. And more specifically, it is a relationship with Jesus and relationships are not well defined or experienced scientifically. However, I don't think it insignificant that the deeper I have dug into Christianity with a thirst for the truth, the more difficult it has become to have faith. In fact, for me, it has become impossible. Now, in the subsequent show, his partner Link explains how his journey, in some sense, uh, starts off differently because he was very much a perfectionist and always worried in his youth and in his early years about doing enough, being spiritual enough to please God. And he never felt he measured up. He felt he was being phony, even when he was put in positions of ministry, like worship leader. But as he and Rhett began talking and they began reading these books together, the same set of doubts grew in Link's mind. So I'm not going to cover... um, Link's testimony as much, because it's, it's a lot of it parallels Rhett's in this regard, that they were reading the same books, they were asking the same questions, they start, first started doubting the Old Testament, then they started doubting the testimony of the Gospels as historic, and then they started doubting the idea, why should I have faith if faith is something that I feel in spite of the evidence that I'm seeing against it? And that's, that's where we... Where we stand. I don't think this is a unique story. I think there's a lot of people today who are following similar paths. Matter of fact, in the comment section of the YouTube videos, you're seeing a lot of people responding and saying, this is my story too. Mm-hmm. I have something very... And, and they're applauding these guys and they're mm-hmm. rallying to them and, and, and cheering them on. And I think it's something that the church needs to address. I think that there's a, several issues here. So, first of all, your initial thoughts, guys. How, how does this testimony, so to speak, strike you? And uh, what do you think? Um, is, is this a serious thing? Is it happening more than...
2: Yeah. Uh, when I was watching it, because you assigned it to, to us to watch, um, I actually felt uh, empathy for him, and I was really sad uh, listening to him. I felt like he was genuine, and he was really struggling... To get his testimony out because it was a hard thing for him to admit all of those things so um, he started out with just the whole idea of doubt and I I can sense from the way he was presenting was doubt was uh, a big struggle for him like he never was allowed to doubt because doubt equals not having enough faith uh, automatically it's like for him it was black or white you know Mm. And um and there was no middle uh gray area. So I, I think in one of the one of the write ups on this, um somebody said that well, he was wrong in that to think that doubt was bad. And so I think in the in in, in our sphere of influence and the way we teach when we interact with people, we should say that it's okay that from time to time, you're doubting. It's how we deal with doubt is really important. Yeah. Now, for him, it seemed like he—I um, I think he—he he did it the right way in the beginning, and he was reading and he was asking all the right questions. But um, I think what was lacking there, and I think you might bring it up later, uh, Lenny, is he didn't have uh, people to talk, talk it with, talk it through. He didn't have that community, so he was left in his own, own whatever, in his own way of dealing with it, with just books. You know, he I guess he had Link. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know what that network. But he uh, he led.
0: It seems to me that he led Link down that path because Link wasn't bothered by the issues initially. It was only after Rhett brought them up that Link. so yeah, yeah. Link was a was a sympathetic sounding board. But he wouldn't necessarily be one that would be able to um, foster the conversation to a deeper level.
2: Yeah. And I picked up on that, the things that you highlight. In fact, a lot of the things you highlight uh, are exactly the things on my notes, too. Uh, But when he was asking, when he quotes from his journal, and by the way, when he was doing the show, he said uh, he's not used to... Doing the show with notes, but he had lots of notes. Yeah, so I could tell. I appreciate that he was careful about it, and uh, I am convinced that he was. And so that's interesting. I, I use that past tense uh, intentionally, a Christian, because I'm allowing. And, and this might be one of those things we're applying in, in, in the show tonight. Is that we we need to understand that maybe it's possible that one can lose. Your sol- our salvation. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. So, yeah, yeah. But I know we're, we're coming on a station break pretty soon, yes, right? So right. maybe we need to continue this.
1: Let me thing. just add one thing. It, it somehow seems like the whole experience of coming to L.A. and everything, it seems more like uh, behaving like a teenager who's been raised in a Christian family, mm-hmm. but the time it, they leave their home, they're exposed to this world where yeah. their questions get some sort of validity uh, and some grounding. And Volkswagen. Yes, and I think moving to LA might have given that kind of exposure to Red uh, and the kind of position he holds in terms of being an influencer. Possibly. We'll, we'll,
0: we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we come around and then what we need to realize about this. So, uh, on the backside, we'll,
3: we'll catch it up after the break. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about him, and these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetics student conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We are at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet... When it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetics student conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think, and thinkers
1: to believe, on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift, so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com.
2: All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show.
0: Good morning again. Welcome back to apologetics.com radio, where this morning we're discussing the spiritual deconversion of popular YouTubers, Rhett and Link, from uh, Good Mythical Morning, if you've watched that show at all or uh, listened to their podcasts. And uh, we'd love to have you call in with a comment or question on this. Again, the phones are live 888 995 5552. Feel free to call in. And I bring this up because I do think that there's a lot of folks who have um, had a similar experience. And I wanted to spend some significant time going through and synopsizing, at least, uh, these stories, because we want to feel the the full weight of it. Uh, I, I do recommend that you go and, and watch both of them. It's going to take some time, but it's important to understand and to feel what these guys are feeling they were you know they didn't want to give this up they didn't want to give christianity up they were holding on to it in their words as desperately as they could because it's not just jumping off the ship into you know some other ship they said it's like jumping into the ocean a mm-hmm. uh, shark infested ocean basically and that's a that's a big deal for them so how do we understand this though uh Rhett does offer in his testimony some very specific objections to some very specific current teaching or understandings of how the Old Testament plays out. Now, he agrees that not all Christians hold to these views. He, As you said, you know, he'd find he, Christians who were Old Earth creationists, young earth creationists, he'd find Christians who held to a literal Adam and Eve, even though they believed in an old earth creation, other Christians who felt that Adam and Eve was a, a symbolic reference to uh, the kind of identity of or knowledge of God and good and evil, that kind of thing. Um, he found others uh, when they moved out to California who said you know it's just about the relationship with Jesus that's primary all that other stuff really isn't as crucial and i don't worry myself about it there was that side of life as well but what are we to make of these things how do we how do we interpret it well what i want to do is i want to first of all kind of understand and and look through Rhett's comments and see if we can identify some problems that we, as the Church, might have been able to clarify for him if, say, we were there in these years where he was asking these questions, and also, going forward, how we can best minister to Christian youth today, because the the dangers are real. David Kinnaman um, has made the point, uh, the studies are out there showing that that the church is losing adherence, especially in the younger generations. So, what do I take away from this? Well,
2: and I was going to mention too that these guys are very influential among the among Gen
1: Zers.
0: Yes, so. yes, millennials through Gen Zers. Yes, yeah. exactly. So and this is what
1: church needs to understand that the youth leaders have now access to more young people than the church does.
0: That's exactly right. Matter of fact, the, the one of the um, comments that. Uh, someone had just recently made was there cannot be a crusade successful enough to bring in new converts to replace those who are leaving the church. Mm. And it doesn't really make sense as Christians, brothers and sisters, isn't our first duty to the spiritual well-being of those within the church family.
1: And we need to understand that the scope of this is not just limited to the Western world or America. It is around the world, all English-speaking world. So these influencers, they're getting these millions of subscribers. It's not just American subscribers, but around the world. That's a a very good point. Yeah, that's a key key piece.
0: Well, there's a couple of things that I noted as I was listening to these um, testimonies. One of the things I noted, first of all, is a continuous appeal to science. Uh, Of course, it started with the idea of young earth, old earth, and red appeal to the science um, to settle that question, which is not necessarily an invalid move. I think that that's appropriate. Then the question of evolution comes up, and he appeals again to the evolutionists, uh, first going to... Francis Collins, who's a Christian evolutionist, but he's an evolutionist. And then uh, beyond that to Jerry Coyne and others of that sort. Um, Also always contrasting science with, say, biblical inerrancy. And like I said, I mentioned he had mentioned archaeology and things like that. And, And it seems to me that he... What he was searching for was absolute certainty. He felt biblical inerrancy meant that my beliefs were absolutely certain. And when there was conflict, when there was disagreement between two parties, that didn't necessarily say, well, I know that one party's right and one party's wrong. What that told him was there's not clarity here. And if it's, in his words, very, very messy, then that means inerrancy isn't true. That was the argument he was, he was drawing upon. So I think a couple of things here, that I've noticed here. I think he has a woeful misunderstanding of what constitutes knowledge, what un, how we understand what it is to know something. I think he woefully misunderstands actually how limited science actually is in its pursuits and what it can tell us. I think he doesn't understand that there are real disagreements even within questions of evolution and things of that nature in all specific scientific assertions i'm not going to just pick on evolution he misunderstands a little bit of morals and moral grounding he he conflates those two ideas whether a person can be moral hmm. versus what is the grounding for morality because he said well you know we had learned if you're if you don't have god then um, morals come from god and Right, and and this is a kind of a tired atheist trope, hmm. the idea that if you're an atheist, you can't live a moral life. He, he said, "Well, people tell me, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be sleeping around all day, right?" And he goes, "No, I Doesn't won't. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to cheat on. I never wanted to cheat on my wife, even though I don't believe in Christianity anymore. So things like that. But the biggest piece that I noticed is I I don't know that he understands how this." Deconstruction actually disintegrates a consistent worldview, and so these are all the questions that I want to want to chase in this part of the uh, broadcast. First of all, you, what, you
2: think they'll invite us uh, to their show? That'd be kind of cool.
0: that would be kind of cool. Yeah. That
2: would be that would <laughs> shout out to Rhett and Link. right? Yeah,
0: if you if you've Googled you, you, and found <laughs> this podcast and you're listening to it, we'd we'd love to talk to you. And we you know We're what? are not far. We're in L.A. Yeah, yeah, they're they're right here yeah. exactly. Oh, they are perfect. Yeah. There you
2: go. Yeah, invite and, us, please. It, yeah, and and, and we
0: won't even talk about specific issues. We'd rather we'd rather talk about how the church is than than argue about you know the chromosome two thing or okay. something like that. <laughs> I would I would much rather um, talk about ideas in that broader sense. But okay, so first of all, here's my first question: What does it mean to know something when we say we know? the Gospels are historical, or um, we know that the Old Testament provides us with a historical record. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're certain? Or does that mean something else? What do you think?
1: In terms of knowledge, one thing that we need to recognize is that with any uh, discipline that we talk about, um, we, we can talk about exhaustive knowledge about something that provides us us with... Uh, complete certainty, and that doesn't happen um, in any discipline except maybe mathematics in some sense. Uh, But what we have is, with regards to scriptures, with regards to uh, Christian faith, is that even historical uh, facts that that which we read in the scripture is that we have sufficient knowledge and when it comes to putting our trust on something or someone, and that's what, how we function in all matters of our life, even with regards to our relationship with each other, what we have is sufficient knowledge about the other person, and thereby we put our trust on that. And, and that's not much different with regards to scripture mm-hmm. as well, that we have not exhaustive knowledge about everything and all uh, uh, that the scripture talks about, or if, even. Uh, with regards to the claims in the scripture, but we have sufficient knowledge that demands of us to put our trust in the lord and uh, uh, having said that this is not to discount that what we are claiming to be sufficient true sufficient uh, knowledge is not true, mm. we are claiming the objective nature of the truth as well right uh, yeah yeah
2: it's to me it's just how we come to know anything that's how we apply our getting to know scripture and, and the principles and important things that scripture teaches. I think there's no extra special well, there is actually, uh it's called the Holy Spirit, but um you don't get to have that if you're not a Christian. And and unless unless God illumines you you don't get saved. I mean that's a particular, you know, yeah. reform persuasion, no doubt about that. But apart from that, um when you come into Scripture, you're studying Scripture. Uh, Again, I have to always say there's that special aid of the Holy Spirit, which God promises that you'll have, but there's nothing more that's required uh, compared to, let's say, studying history or sociology, you know. Now, again, if you're a Christian, obviously you always have that extra advantage with you, but I don't think it's Again, what I'm trying to say is it's not something that, uh, it's not a special kind of dispensation that we need to possess in order to learn more. Yeah. So, in other words, uh, a non Christian person trying to learn algebra would be the same thing as a Christian learning algebra. Right. And, and it's the same thing that you can apply as you're flipping the pages of scripture. Uh, you, you'll recognize that there are certain genres, and that's how you apply scripture. Uh, according to this genres, the way that you would read, let's say, you know, maybe the Book of Romans, where maybe Paul is talking more about systematic theology. Well, that's a little bit different than, let's say, the Book of Psalms. You know, they're both valuable, but you you read them differently.
0: But but even even more broadly, yeah. I, and I I appreciate your point because uh, that's you know you can approach the Gospels as historical documents first and foremost and you can draw there there are certain things you can know more than others that jesus died by crucifixion is one of the things that you can know with pretty strong certainty mm-hmm. um but just because you know something doesn't mean that there's no doubt
2: mm-hmm.
0: about it i mean i know that i'm going to you know get in my vehicle after our show tonight and drive home now i could be hit by a drunk driver but i know that i'm going home and i i have a reasonably good point of reference to hold to that mm-hmm. as knowledge, not just merely as a belief, but right. that's I know I'm going to be going right. home tonight, And that's, that's not a contradictory yeah. idea.
2: And I call that uh, whole principle the good enough principle. Right. That's actually not a bad hmm. principle. There, you can apply that in many ways, the good enough versus the perfectionist. Right. And if you're curious, but, I mean, there are a lot of studies that show that the good enough people are actually more satisfied in their decisions than the uh, uh, perfectionist or the maximizer, and this was
0: the problem know. I think with both Link and Rhett. But Rhett, specifically as a skeptic, he was always looking for the 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 slam dunk argument, the thing that uh, there's no doubts at all, and you yeah. and you just can't yeah. you just can't find yeah. that, especially when you're talking about things of history yeah. because they are so far removed. Of course, you're going to have people with different life. Yeah experiences, have yeah. different opinions on these kinds of things. I think
1: going forward with Red and also with Link, I think what they need to actually question is that the same questions that they have regarding Christian faith in terms of not finding mm-hmm. complete certainty with it, uh, are they going to find that with what they're seeking? Right.
2: Yeah, with anything. With anything. With anything. Yeah. So that that leads yeah. my
1: to my next question. Yeah.
2: Oh, but can I add something to this? I, yeah. I may, maybe you might touch on this, Lenny, but it's a thought that I want to make sure... I don't forget. Um, I, I have to say, though, again, going back to what I said earlier, I do appreciate uh, Rhett's uh, thing. It was long, but he I, I felt like he was genuine, he was mm. sincere, uh, and he was really thoughtful and careful. A- and we need to appreciate that. And, and he kept saying, yeah, don't accuse me or judge me as like maybe... Uh, someone who has never believed to begin with, right? And and that's an easy thing to say. In fact, I can, as I'm saying that, I can picture people I respect who would just easily dismiss the rats of the world and just say, "Yeah, you you were never saved to begin with." So again, that that's really harsh, in my opinion. And again, this is where we're applying uh, this principle, where that that's a case for. If it is true, or if it can be true, that uh, the whole one saved, always saved might not be true. I mean, our whole theology shouldn't collapse just because maybe right. that is true. You know what I mean? And and again, Christians are divided over that. And you can also point to Scripture where uh, maybe the whole one saved, always saved isn't uh, the case. Uh, I, I don't hold that personally. But— um, here's the point I wanted to make for the Rets of... That's his name, right, Rets? Yeah. The Rets of the world. And I was just reading... Um, you guys know the name, Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. He actually disdains the question, and it's always asked of him, do you believe in God? And Christians like to ask him that because the way Jordan Peterson talks and his writings, it's very Christian, but he's not. Right. But I, I just... Read somewhere and discovered why he doesn't like that question. Number one, it's too personal, actually. But the reason why he won't give you a straight answer, and he he gets he bristles with frustration when he gets that um, question. Here's the thing, and I f- kind of understood where he was coming from. And I think the rats of the world are this, and some of us, some of our dispositions are like this, actually. Because the the idea that uh, the a loving God uh, and the God of the Bible and the narrative that we find in Scripture is just the best story ever, where you know a loving God sacrifices Himself to rescue us and and shows us love and mercy and literally, you know, just has that amazing love for us, right? It, it's so unbelievable, right? Uh, that the the response from us would be total obedience, total devotion, and for someone like Peterson, because of that truth, it's so great, it's so amazing that, that our lives would be so affected that we would be good people in the superlative sense, mm-hmm. like really good people. And so for, for people like Jordan Peterson, for Rhett, their expectation is super high, yeah. and, and we shouldn't blame them, it should be. I mean, we're talking about the God of the universe, omniscient, omnibulent, I mean, just all of the super qualities of this being, and, uh, and so I kind of l- love their underlying assumptions, and they're right, it should be. Uh, and we need to wrestle with those ideas all the time. In other words, if we are, as C.S. Lewis says, little Christ, hmm. why aren't we? Like Jesus. Yeah. That's a problem. That should really shake us and every minute of the day always remind ourselves for those of us who... Consider uh, ourselves as followers of Christ. Why it, it, aren't it, it we like be, Jesus? Yeah,
0: very yeah. much self-reflective. That's
2: right.
1: Uh, at the same time, uh, Harry, you mentioned about ex- putting expectations, and that's the and that's a, a key issue here as well. But a lot of people putting their expectation on God, and then not seeing God meeting those those expectations, right. and that's where the dis- disappointment and doubts creep right. in, and then people question their faith. Whereas I think Christian faith is uh, Christian. A uh, walk of faith is one where we actually uh, submit ourselves to God's expectation as revealed in the Scripture uh, and uh, living our life accordingly. Well, one of the
0: things that I found fascinating about this is uh, uh, what Rhett has done. He actually replaced the kind of co- straw man concept, I should say, of, of um, inerrancy with a straw with a, a similar version of science. Hmm. And his view of science is not what science actually is. We have to understand what science is. Science is merely the inference to the best explanation given the data that we know. And because it's an inference, because we infer things, we inject our ideas and our viewpoints in there quite a bit from evolution to everything else. For example, nowhere in Rhett's story do we talk about the origin of life. Or the origin of the universe. Why is there something rather than nothing? These are significant problems within the naturalist community. Significant problems. I mean, matter of fact, the origin of life has more problems now than it had 50 years ago as we've done genome sequencing. A lot of things that he was talking about in terms of retroviruses and things like that uh, allude to junk DNA, which... 15 years ago, you know, when you talk about humans and chimpanzees being 98% the same, what they're talking about is protein codon, hmm. protein coding sections of DNA, not the quote unquote non-protein or the junk DNA. But what we're finding is non-protein <clears throat> coding sections actually do influence the production of, um, they're necessary for the production of proteins in a, in a specific way. And, so junk DNA isn't junk anymore. And there's a lot of diversity and difference in that. As a matter of fact, in the brains of humans and, and chimps, it's, the, the DNA is drastically different. So there's those kinds of issues. There's issues uh, even, you know, when we talk about science, that hold things in tension all the time, right? We, we learn that what goes up must come down. That's a scientific fact. Newton. Nobody doubts Newton. Well, ask a quantum physicist, if he doubts Newton, because what you find out is all the ideas of actions and equal and opposite reactions, they don't hold in the quantum realm. Hmm. There, there, there are so many things that we know are true because we can get accurate results, but we don't know how it reconciles with something else. In, and this is a scientific question. It's easily as difficult to solve as, say, Adam and Eve versus evolution. Those are those are pro- those are easily at least on the same par because they're they're very different. How do you how do you tang- uh, deal with quantum entanglement, where uh, you know a photon on one side of the universe is, or electron is influencing an electron on the other side of the universe, and there's nothing in between them? How do they know? How do you deal with double slit experiments where things supposedly go backwards in time, where the experiment's done and then you look at and see if you can spot, you know, the location of these and it, and it won't allow you to do so. It knew ahead of time that you were going to look for that aspect mm-hmm. of it and it changed. Yeah, it just, it, when you look at these things, it's, it's not as cut and dry as it seems. And I've made the point before, you would never even want a surgeon, a heart surgeon to operate on you using a manual that's 50 years old. Why? Because all of the scientific data in there is out of date you want new stuff because we found new things. And many times that's in direct contradiction to what we used to believe. Mm. So science is fluid. It's, it's inferential. It doesn't have the replicability that Rhett is looking for biblically, but it doesn't even have the replicability that he thinks it has scientifically. And, and these are just huge, broad errors. And we still haven't talked about other issues. Like again, Why is there something rather than nothing? And this is what I... When I tell people to ask about things like the age of the earth and evolution, I say, go with what you know, not with what you don't. Hmm. Something rather than nothing, that's that's a logical problem that can't be overcome. Why is there life rather than non-life? Those are logical problems that can't be overcome. And that's part of the Christian worldview. And the beauty of the Christian worldview is... All of these pieces fit together into a single pictured whole. Whereas if you're holding to an evolutionary view of science where humans just came from primordial ancestors who came from single-celled organisms, who came from um, random chemicals, RNA molecules joining together, or depending on your RNA world hypothesis or whatever you're, you're offering, then how can you still hold to the idea that there's a purpose in life? Those things break apart. They don't, they don't fit together. How can you... The, you may be moral, but the question isn't, are you moral? The question is, when we get to moral quandaries, who's right? When we get to two different people who have two different moral understandings of an issue, who's right? How do you understand that? What grounds the morality? And that's part of the problem. So I think as we're getting ready to wrap up, going forward, we need to talk about and teach the controversy. This was a very yeah. famous point within intelligent design, but it needs to be taught in evolution. Hmm. Let's do a seminar where the first hour we just teach evolution the way an evolutionist would give all the facts out there. Let's talk about telomeres and, and retroviruses and things like that, and then explore the differences and the problems that those positions have that their
1: scientists admit that they have, as well as the biblical, um, or, or a Christian point of view. And if I may jump in, um, what I mentioned when we started this show uh, with Heritage Council and what we are doing with these academies, I think that could be a model that churches can adopt, yes. where we can have academic level learning on these issues uh, at church. Uh, bring it to the church instead of bringing the church to the academia, and we can have uh, you know learning uh, on different topics uh, that are necessary for us to engage. Exactly. In. Exactly. I think we need to be sensitive to those holding different views.
0: I, I tell a story that a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door on Halloween of all days. And I asked them, How did you become Jehovah's Witness? Were you always Jehovah's Witness? And the older guy says, No, I was a Christian. But I had a couple of witnesses come to my door at Christmas time. And they mm. said, Well, you know, December 25th isn't the day that Jesus was born mm. because the sheep were still out in the field. So it couldn't have been Christmas time because it was too cold. And At 17, he called up his pastor and he said, hey, is this true? The pastor said, are those Jehovah's Witnesses talking to you? And the guy said, yeah. He goes, oh, we just don't listen to them. And the Uh, pastor hung up. (laughs) And the kid, he told me, he goes, as a kid, I said, if he's lying to me about this, what else is he lying Lying to me about? about?" Mm -hmm. And he became a witness. This is exactly what I hear Rhett doing. If they're not discussing this issue, then they must not have... Hmm. Or, or they have an answer that they really don't believe in, or you know they've not taught the, the, the details of it. Now, there are books out there that do teach that. I, I'm, I don't know if Rhett had got into the true nits and nats of it. I mean, he talk, points to Jerry Coyne, but when you start reading the actual scientific papers mm-hmm. and, and start reading the counter responses to those papers, then, then you're really doing the detail, but that's a yeah. lot of work. But I think going yeah. forward, we need to do that in our churches, and teaching the controversy yeah. would be a big step forward.
2: Yes. I think also that maybe we need to— Jake and I were talking about this— maybe rethink the way we're doing apologetics. Yes, too. absolutely. As you know, we do we do it a little bit differently here. Um, it's not just all about evidence-based. It's, it's broader. I mean, we right. do a lot of cultural stuff, a lot of sociological stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so— um, that's, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. All truth is God's truth.
1: Right? Yeah. Parents need to be proactive in terms of understanding what their children and their young kids are exposed to. Exactly. And be open to actually discuss those issues with them.
0: Well, I ha- we could talk so much more about this, but unfortunately it's time for us to go. Thank you for joining us, and until next week, we'll see you later. All right.